What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath. I collect sports cards and have a podcast about collecting sports cards. And every Friday, we bring a collector on the program to talk about a product, a parallel, or a topic that matters. And today, we are diving into the NTRPA with my man, Jameson, at Exquisite Sports Collectibles. He is a brick and mortar hobby shop owner. Port City Sports Collectibles. If you're in the Wilmington, North Carolina area, drop by. Really enjoyed the chat on this one, especially the part where we're talking about NTRPAs in comparison with Exquisite. Really good conversation. Also, if you are looking for more exclusive content from the Stacking Slabs brand, way to connect with collectors and to promote your auction listings, check out my Patreon group. Been loving the engagement and interaction that group has gotten in just a short amount of time. And shout out to companies like Card Ladder for helping support the brand, the official data provider of the Stacking Slabs podcast and platform. We've got a fun conversation. Happy Friday. Happy collecting. Let's kick it over to it. All right, we are talking about a premium card that is near and dear to a lot of collectors' hearts. When I thought about this episode, the first person I thought about was my man Jameson at Exquisite Sports Collectibles, Um, also a store owner, hobby shop owner, Port City Sports Collectibles. Um, I have seen his page flooded with NT and TRPAs throughout the year. So I feel like this will be a fun conversation, but welcome back, Jameson. How are you doing, man? Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me on, man. Everything's going great, man. Just uh, adjusting to uh, life as a brick and mortar store owner, uh, which is going great. You know, always, always every new business ventures has its plus and minuses, but honestly, it's been a blessing and we're having a lot of fun just, uh, you know, informing people in the community watching young collectors flourish and uh, just really try to spread the love of the hobby here in uh, Southeastern uh, North Carolina. Maybe uh, before we jump into the topic, maybe share how long has the store been open and maybe what is your most important thing that you've learned during that time about being a uh, brick and mortar hobby shop store owner? Um, we've been open like eight, nine months. We open pretty much like the day after, uh, I always get them confused Memorial day. I always get Memorial day and labor day confused the day after Memorial day. So it was really right at the beginning of June of 2023. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily, um, something I learned, but maybe just some thoughts that I had coming in that I think have been, um, solidified through the first eight, nine months. One is always give the customer something to come in to see. So we really pride ourselves. And I think a lot of this, you know, you know, credit to them, you know, you look at like, I watch like a lot of reels and stuff, but what goes on in like the Burbank is like, just give them a reason to come in. So we're always working really hard to uh, turn over this display cases, bring new inventory in because the last thing we want a customer coming in is like, oh, uh, we don't really need to stop by there. They have the same cards every time we go. So we really work hard on buying new, selling new. And then if we feel like we get stale inventory, we just kind of let it rip and get it out of here and you know use that capital to bring new stuff in. So we always want uh, people to come in and, and just be like, wow, you came in three weeks ago and this whole 
showcases turned over, you know, so that's been fun. And then obviously um, just pouring into the the young collectors and educating collectors and uh, just, you know, really taking the time to walk through, understand what they're buying, the, the pluses and minuses of ripping wax compared to buying singles. Uh, Cause the last thing we want to do is come in and burn people up and, you know, they waste a lot of money on this or that, you know, spend a ton of money on wax and they don't really have anything to show for it. So we try to keep an even balance. Um, we really try to educate people that wax should be seen more as, yes, it's fun. There's a lot of entertainment, but there's a lot of risk that comes with it. Um, and so we really try to try to balance people's flow through the hobby so they can, it can be sustainable and that they can hang out for a long time and not get burned up and, you know, spend a lot of money real quick and not have a lot to show for it. Uh, I, f- I feel like all of the store owners who kill it and do really well have this education mindset where yeah. it's like, let's not just get people in here and shove like 10 hobby boxes in their face and get them to buy right. that because chances are they probably won't be back. So that's what I've, I've appreciated from learning from different store owners is just the education side. Uh, before we move over to the topic, you said something that I think applies to what you're doing and then also just collectors listening to uh, the show, but that's the element of like stale inventory. And I think whether you're a owner of a store or you have a collection and you're constantly pursuing bigger and better cards, I think we get caught up sometimes in this mindset of like, I bought card for X, so I need to wait until it reaches back to that or more to move the card when there's another card out there that we maybe could move that for less and it could help us get the card that we really want. Uh, you touched on that just in terms of your approach with like how you're the inventory in your store, like maybe yeah. like g- dig a little deeper on just like that mindset and h- why it's important to move cards and not let them sit there, especially if you're trying to, you know, move on to uh, a, a new case of something or maybe a, sure. a bigger card to put in your store, like talk a little bit through that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when the market started crumbling down from the highs we saw a few years ago, that was one thing I kind of, I was able to apply or thankfully I was able to apply early and there was some pain that comes with that, you know, is, is like, man, I bought this card for X and now it's worth Y and it may never be X again. And so, you know, I think people have to be in touch with reality, right? Like it's just because you paid X doesn't mean it's worth X now. And, you know, if you love that card and you want it in your collection, that's cool. That's great. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you have that card. You're excited about it. But let's be honest. There's a lot of times we bought cards for the wrong reasons, and we don't really love that card. And now it's just this plummeting asset in our portfolio or or our collection, however you want to view your cards. And so there's two things. There's overall value, but then there's also rate of turn and return turn and return. So, you know, I can have this asset that I paid, you know, let's say a thousand dollars for that's worth 300 now. And I can sit there and really hope that that comes to a thousand one day, or I could also just sell it for 300 and take that 300 and try to find another asset that I maybe can get for 300 that then I get for 400. And then I can take that 400. I can do the same thing and maybe get something that turns into five. And then I can keep turning that over and creating um, just new wins and just reinvigorate my passion and the hobby and just get something that I like better, you know, if you don't like that thing anymore. And I think, you know, sometimes I think it, it also creates, I think in the hobby, people look for different things. I think sometimes people like to build sets. Sometimes people like to chase rainbows. 
But sometimes your project could be like, hey, man, I paid a thousand for this. This is worth 300. I'm going to start a project to get my thousand dollars back. And that's mm -hmm. going to be buying this, selling that, buying this, selling that or whatever. Or until I get something that I really, really like for my collection back in there to take the place of this object that I bought because I thought cards were going up forever and they're not. And so there's different ways you can dice it. I could just say like, and I think you've talked about it a lot, you know, with collection replacement It's like I open my box and that card just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> And so am I better off having this asset or card or piece or this collectible that doesn't do it for me anymore? I get mad at it every time I look at it because I know I paid X for it. Or let's just clean the slate. And let's just start over and let's just take another approach at it. And sometimes you just got to punt the ball and uh, and try another four downs and see if you can get it back down the field again, you know? I love the analogy, especially uh, since we're here uh, headed towards the Super Bowl. I got to ask. Who's your Super Bowl pick? Who do we got? I mean, I'm a lifelong 49ers fan. So that's my team. I, see, I, that's I, right with. I mean, it is scary going against Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to lie. He's a hard dude to bet against. But I don't know. I feel like the Niners have been knocking on the door for a few years now. I think uh, I think they're the more talented team. Um, yep. But that doesn't always, you know, it's a one, one and done situation. And in football, we know how many plays can just totally change a game. Um, from the unlikeliest players you could ever think of. So um, I think it's going to be a good game, though. I think we got the best player against the, in the league, probably against the best team in the league, and uh, and maybe the second best player in the league with Christian McCaffrey. I don't know. That dude's an absolute <laughs> stud. So I'm excited to have him this time against Mahomes. I think he could, uh, you know, he's kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife. He does a little bit of everything from the backfield, and then you combine him with Debo and the rest of those weapons. Just hopefully everyone stays healthy. I hope both teams are healthy going in and we have a great game. I I uh I love Kyle Shanahan. I yeah. think he's just such a fantastic coach who's come so close in so many instances, so many times. So yeah. uh he's a guy I'm definitely pulling for. And just out of curiosity, is Christian McCaffrey, is he of interest to people walking into your store based on where he was to now it where he was is now, or is it like he's moved on so we're we don't have any interest in collecting him? Oh, no, he's still I think he's still beloved in this area. You know, it wasn't like he was like one of these guys demanding to get traded or anything. And, you know, I think if most Panther fans look at it, it kind of made sense. They weren't really going anywhere. And to pay a running back 16 million dollars a year when you have a team that's like a 500 team probably doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, now, could they have maybe gotten a bigger haul? I think probably looking back at it, maybe you get a bigger <laughs> haul for him. You know, but uh, but no, I think I think he's still pretty loved around here. You know, a lot of the Panthers greats, like we still sell a lot of Cam Newton cards in here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Luke Keekley, um, Julius Peppers, you know, CMC, they still like, you know. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and when you watch when you watch him play, he just plays football the right way. You know, not a lot of show guy just gets it done, you know, runs between the tackles the most unseeming unlikely best running back in the league there probably ever has been you know <laughs> he's he's insane i yeah. just the touchdown uh i guess it'll be two uh, in the nfc championship where it's like i'm just gonna make this happen so yeah. he's uh, awfully fun to watch yeah all right so let's move over to ntrpas sure. before we, when we jump into that i want to talk about just like national treasures and national treasures like i think a lot of people like when they think of national treasures they think, oh, like this is this premium high-end product that maybe I can't afford or I just see from afar, see it getting posted. 
But I, I think one of the things that I think about a lot is just like just the lineage of this product over a long period of time, which I think right. drives maybe its collectability. What say you about just NT and just like the influence NT has had, especially just like in this more ultra modern era of collecting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think obviously the the really the the coming out party for NT because it was out a few years for football before it came out for basketball. But I think really the the kind of boom we had was when Upper Deck went away. Obviously, Panini came in to fill the void. And then you had to have everybody was looking for the next exquisite, right? Mm-hmm. That was really what is going to replace the ultra uh, high-end exquisite product. And then you had this National Treasures come out. And that was kind of, though I would say, you know, obviously it's really hard for anything to compete on exquisites level with the design. Uh, element that upper deck just had i mean it was insane you know uh carbon and that team the way way they designed that product is just you know i don't know if it's still ever been matched you know really but here you had national treasures kind of come up and take that void i mean i remember ripping probably three or four cases of that and being in all kinds of group breaks back in 2009 10 you know and it was 1500 for a case you know, fifteen hundred dollars. You know, you can't even buy the best team in a group break for fifteen hundred dollars these days. You know, um, and you open that wood box and you hear that crack, and it was just like, you know, it was, I mean, it just it was a different time in the hobby. And you know, the funny thing is, you know, I was thinking about that as we're we're going to record this. You know, back then, what's turned out to be, you know, a really good rookie class with probably the most iconic National Treasures card ever produced. Mm. But people were chasing Tyreek Evans and Brandon Jennings. That was who everybody wanted uh, back then. And obviously, you wanted Kobe. You know, he was the big Panini exclusive guy. I mean, that, that was shockwaves when he left Upper Deck and came over to Panini. Everybody was like, Panini, what is this? You know, and there were some other cool cards. And you had the Logo Man chase and all that stuff. But, I mean, from an RPA standpoint, it was Tyreek Evans and Brandon Jennings were the guys everybody wanted. Steph kind of came on at the end of the year. Blake Griffin was hurt. He was he missed the whole season. So he was the number one draft pick, but he wasn't even playing at that time. Uh, James Harden was really just kind of a bench player for the Oklahoma City Thunder at that time. So it was just a totally different ballgame when that product first came out. So I love the snapshot. And this conversation we've never had on the podcast. And while we are putting the light on NT, you said something there that I have to ask you. Like, what would you say in like zooming out and looking at exquisite and then looking at NT uh, side by side from what I heard out of your voice, it was like, you know, NT is really important, but like it's not as important as exquisite or maybe has never reached the level of exquisite. What would the, I guess, what does exquisite have in your opinion or what, what did they do that maybe NT never quite got to? Well, I think there's a couple factors in play here. Uh, one big one that can't be glossed over is exquisite had Michael Jordan and LeBron James in it and NT doesn't, you know what I mean? So that's a monster chase patch autos, rare cards that just NT's never had the ability to have, you know? Um, and when you combine that with just the design element, I think of exquisite, it helps to take it all over, you know, exquisite really was, I mean, ultimate collection was out before exquisite. Um, you know, I think that came out like 2000, 2001, I think was the first, that was kind of like the first foray into like, kind of, I would say more kind of high, high end. Um, and then exquisite came out at $500 a bat- pack and it seemed like ludicrous, but you had this kid, LeBron James that had seen hype that no one else had ever seen before like that. 
So I think it was kind of, they they were able to see the writing on the wall, credit to that team. They caught lightning in a bottle, the hype of LeBron James, the athletes they had under contract at that time really produced a set that really had never been seen. Like, you know, exquisite is kind of the original kind of format, jumbo patch auto, on-card autos, um, just all these different elements just tied into one. So I think whenever you're first, you're always first, right? So they, they hit the market first. They had Jordan, they had LeBron, they had Kobe. They introduced in LeBron's rookie year to this unprecedented hype for this kid coming out of high school. So when you tied up time, when you wrap all that up into a ball, you know, they really kind of struck gold. And honestly, like exquisite wasn't the way we see exquisite now. It wasn't necessarily like that when that product first came out. I mean, there was people wondering, can you sell a $500 a pack product? And I think one of the things that led to the lore of Exquisite was you also had a few collectors back in that day really lock up a lot of top cards in Exquisite. So you didn't see them on the market after a few years the way that you see them now because of some of the prices that they have have realized over time. And really, we got a lot of that put back on the market a couple of years ago when that big collection from Puerto Rico got Mm -hmm. kind of parsed out over golden auctions and through private sales and stuff. But before that, a lot of those cards have been locked up for a long time. And like, you never saw that stuff. So I think that even added to the allure of exquisite is like, you may see one of these cards once a year, rather than this kind of uh, redundant cycle that we entered into a few years ago, where we were seeing, we were seeing cards we had never seen the year. And now we're seeing them run the same card run within the span of six months. It's like, it kind of dilutes it a little bit. Um, so hopefully those cards are being recirculated back in the collector's hands that will appreciate them. They can be locked up for a while. And I think over time, those cards will regain some of their significance and just prestige. Not that they aren't already, but just, you know, hopefully they can go away and learn a new hold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is WrestleMania season yeah. <laughs> too. Uh, uh, so yeah, I guess being the first and having LeBron and Michael Jordan um, pretty much makes your case for exquisite. Uh, yeah. If you're arguing for, it's like Teflon. So the NTRPA at a 99, I think is when people think about National Treasures, that's the first cards that they typically think about. Now is is the the importance of these cards, would you say this is like drafting off of uh, the exquisite rookie patch auto? And that's why when we got to NT, like, these were the cards that were the chase cards or is, is it something different? Yeah, I think, you know, and I've had this discussion with other collectors when we talk about like long-term value on certain cards, like to me, the whole market, the whole RPA market draws off the LeBron James exquisite RPA 99. Cause if that card is X, every other card has to fall below it because it is the standard of the 99 RPA um, market. So if, like I said, if that LeBron James is a million dollars, like it was in the hype, then everything else can float up to try to catch in the middle. When that card drops down to 200, 300,000, everything else gets compressed down with it. So that card is like the North Star of RPA market. And so because of the LeBron, I think that's why coming in the NTRPA 99s have the significance they do. Do you think that in something you touched on in your last response, do you think the fact that that um, the LeBron exquisite, we continue to see them cycle through different auctions? 
diminished the value and hurt that market's card. And then that just had this wave down towards NTRPAs of active players that people are chasing today. Do you think there was correlation uh, with those two things? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. It's still a card to own. You know, it's still a card. I think most people, if they could afford it, <clears throat> would love to have in their collection, no matter no matter how you feel about LeBron, because he can be kind of a lightning bolt topic. Some people love him. Some people hate it. I think uh, people have to respect the significance of that card. Not a lot of people saw Honus Wagner play, but they probably like to own a Honus Wagner card. You know what I mean? Just because of what it means from a relevant standpoint in the hobby. But yeah, you know, I think there was a lot of factors at play. Probably people got into that card, um, mm. kind of riding the cycle, were leveraged a lot, ne- not necessarily could afford it. And then just like you would see in like a real estate market leverage and the money got called and there wasn't any money to pay. And so you got a lot of forced liquidation, I think, or semi-forced liquidation, maybe not forced, but kind of forced uh, based on some of the financial positions people were in, which created more of them on the market. Though it does seem... I feel like the last few auctions we're starting to not see certain cards we were seeing a lot of. Yeah. A lot of them are catching their footing. I know several collectors that are uh, buying quite a few that have the money, the real money to buy them. And, you know, kind of like we were talking about, you used to maybe see one LeBron exquisite a year, maybe on auction, not one every auction every for the whole year. You know, I think that was a dynamic that had to change. Because there's only so many people that can throw a million dollars on a card around, you know, that keeps coming. I mean, no card was immune to it. Brady Champ ticket, LeBron RPA, Curry RPA, Jordan rookie. There was no card immune to that um, outside of maybe a few like super rare, like 101 cards. But in that, you're creating your own market anyway. There's no comps are irrelevant. You want the card, you want it bad enough, you're going to pay the price for it. You're, that card's probably not going to come up again in you know a couple of years if it's that significant. You know, one thing I find really interesting, and I think as I'm thinking through this, is this element of a card like the LeBron Exquisite driving the RPA market, and then maybe new NT comes out and people are breaking it, and it's the at the beginning it's like the chase of the hot rookies and their RPAs and seeing where those cards are going and the price that they're going for right out of the gates. So it's kind of like this, this, this push and pull between like these different sides. Yeah. And do you think it just kind of water becomes level, everything ends up balancing itself out or maybe is it, is it something different? Are people end up buying cards over a long period of time for more than they should based on them just being caught up in the hype of something like how do you see it in the RPA market? Yeah. I mean, I think you get a lot of FOMO that kicks in, you know, especially, you know, when you think your guy's going to be the next up and coming. I mean, when you look back at the, at some over the years, what uh, you look at some of these guys at perennial all-stars and what their RPAs are worth, and they're not selling for a fraction of what the new guys are selling for right out of the rip. But, you know, everyone's trying to catch the next Luca. Everyone's trying to catch the next Giannis. Everyone's trying to catch the next Steph. Everyone's trying to catch the next LeBron. And if you do, if you do bet right, you can, I mean, you can generate some life-changing type of income. You know, I mean, there was people that probably could retire off the money they made off of Luca, you know, off of Giannis, you know, off of Steph. 
you know, for, you know, at the guy, you know, it's a little bit harder now because I feel like because there is so much FOMO that the prices are starting off so much higher now that it's hard to, it's going to be harder because everybody's trying to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the price that Chet Holmgren is selling for, what does Chet have to do to justify those prices over time? I, I can only imagine. I mean, we, we won't see it because of the deal, but imagine what a Victor Wimbignana National Treasure RP. I mean, I can imagine his Prism Golds are going to be on heard of prices out of the gate on these cards, especially knowing that he's not. They already would have been, but knowing that he won't have an NTRPA and that the Prism run is going to be his best cards, it's going to be, especially the way he's playing. I mean, the kid looks legit. You know, it's health and development, but... I mean, for a 19-year-old kid, I mean, he looks insane. Um, so yeah. I can only imagine the hype that's going to be around in a couple of weeks. I think that's an interesting thing to think about and probably a whole other conversation on just like that kid, his cards, what doesn't exist and what that does for other stuff. Um, yeah. One thing maybe to touch on that maybe not a lot of people are thinking about or if they're new in and they're trying to navigate how how do you look at like the, the NTRPA out of 99 in comparison with the other parallels that exist. Cause one thing that I find interesting is that uh, some collectors, a lot of collectors prefer the out of 99 because of the provenance of that card, as opposed to maybe lesser print run parallel or cards of that card, but are considered parallel. So like, how do you think about that and navigate that? Yeah. I mean, I would, I kind of see it as like um, a little bit kind of like probably how the Bowman Chrome baseball plays out. Like for me, like, so I go back to the original years of National Treasures. And if you look at the run, you have, a, you have the Logo Man Auto, you have the out of five, out of 25, and the out of 99. To me, you know, it should go Logo Man, out of five, out of 25, out of 99. I, that, that should be the pecking order in, in, in my book. They were all there for the first year. So they're, I, I would call them like original colors, if you want to call them or whatever. Uh, now I can definitely see where you start throwing in pinks and maroons and uh, candy corn lollipop parallel at a seventy one. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like all these kind of extra parallels they create to, so they can increase print run. I can definitely see and justify those being of lesser value. Um, but I still think, like I'm a simp for hollow foil. So if you put hollow foil mm. on at twenty five, I'll take that over a plain ninety nine. If you want to sell it to me for the same price, great, I'll take it. You know, so that. That's my book. I, I see those. But when you start getting to the out of 49s and out of 75s and all that, I can definitely justify those being less. Uh, they f- kind of feel like they were created out of thin air to create more product. And so I can definitely understand the same way like, um, you know, uh, in, in Bowman Chrome, you know, a, uh, a green out of 99 might sell for less than a blue out of 150 because people see blue as a more traditional color. So in my book, I think a 25 should be more than a 99. And I think a five should be more than a 25 and a 99. And obviously a logo man's in a whole different status. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, as it, I, it's not something that I typically collect, but I, I agree with you from the, that perspective. I feel like having the history and having uh, being more rare than maybe the out of 99 should have some importance. I think we'd be remiss to not talk about just like the patches and the makeup of the patches. So I don't know, like there's a lot that we could get into here, but just how do you think about the actual patches in the history of the NTRPAs, where they're coming from and how that should impact their overall interest and value from collectors? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I know, I know there's a lot to be said about how the patches are. I mean, first of all, in RPAs, outside of Flawless, the patches are never game used. Never have been. I mean, there are some LeBron game used in 0304, but the, none of them are on his RPAs. They're all on, like, I think limited logos, noble nameplates, and uh, E of E. And so it's never been game used patches in RPAs. Um, I know. And, you know, does it make a huge difference for some people that a guy went in and threw 50 jerseys on in a room and then they took it out compared to the guy never throwing 50 jerseys on in a room? Maybe for some. To me, I view it as a aesthetics things. You know what I mean? I, I see the patches are put on the cards to enhance the appearance of the cards. If they're not game used, I don't really care. I mean, if it was game used and then they went to target jerseys, yes, I can see you work. But they were never game used. And there's not a lot of documentation on how those previous jerseys that they said were player worn are actually player worn, if they're actually worn by that player or anything. Um, I know, I think uh, Upper Deck did have some call outs, but I don't think on National Treasures it's ever really been called out like that. But um, so to me, you know, I know people get their, how can people pay $15,000 for this NTRPA? Meanwhile, they'll go pay $150,000 because a card is black instead of gold. You know what I mean? So like, it's just, people just get their mind fixated on this thing. And if you don't like it, don't, I mean, don't buy it. I'm not trying to talk you into buying something you don't like, but to me, it's not, I don't really even think about it. I'll be honest. I, I don't think about it that much. If, I, if it's a cool patch and I like how the card looks, um, I could care less if Chet Holmgren had 15 of those jerseys on in a little room that he was signing cards on compared to they just slapped a patch on there. Now, if you told me it was game used, then I see some significance. And that's another conversation. That's where I can see, you know, I still believe like over time, you know, flawless could ultimately be the play for some of these RPAs. I think the only thing that holds them back is they don't necessarily call them a true RPA. So mm -hmm. you got all these different sets and no one really knows what the, you know, people have just said, okay, the vertical one's the RPA because we like vertical RPAs. But I could definitely see some overtime significance of flawless and the case for flawless. But if you're telling me, oh, this guy had 150 of these jerseys on at a photo shoot compared to who knows how they get them these days, I don't lose any sleep over it. If the hobby in collecting cards was so straightforward, it just wouldn't be any fun. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm exactly. glad there are these debates yeah. and opinions. What is the primary reason for you as a collector and someone who's trying to acquire cards to, you know, gain value over a long period of time? Like, why is the NTRPA something you continue to, like, go back to and is, like, a market you monitor? Like, what is, like, that primary reason? You know, I think there is name brand recognition with that product. I mean, you say National Treasures RPA, everyone knows, okay, that's the card. It's, it's uh, you know, they've been, you know, for 15 years now, that's been the RPA to get of X rookie and you know it just holds that place in the hobby um so when you look a lot of times what people are buying and what's running through the auction i mean that's what people want you know it's not a brand that you know you see some brands that come and go they come in one year they're out they're back in they're out nt never goes away you know it's it's tried and true it's it's stayed the test of the hobby and i think one of the things also is now uh you do have all these iconic cards attached to that brand there's a lot of good players that have NTRPAs, but I think there's really four big ones that I kind of have segmented. I think I think there's like 
tier one and then there's tier two for me in tier one is Steph Curry and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think those are the tier one just because of who they are, what they've accomplished and the popularity of those two athletes. And then I would say tier two is you have Luca and Giannis. Mm. Um, Luca has a lot to prove, but his RPA is, is a, it's a lightning rod card. You know what I mean? It, it, it creates a lot of uh, conversation around the hobby um, of what it is. Luca just does that in general. Did he sign his cards? Did he not sign his card? Is he overrated? Da, 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 da. But he's super young and the kid can flat out ball. Um, he is a baller. I hope he, I hope he does win the accolades that he needs to sustain his cards because I think he is that good of a player and that special of a talent. So I, I want to see him yeah. get there. Um, and Giannis, um, you know, he's got the MVPs, he's got the championship. So I think he's right there. And then you have, I think, like these all these young guys underneath there that could get there. You know, you have the Joe Burrows, the Jason Tatum's. You know, we'll see what Herbert does now. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. You have all these guys underneath there that do have these cards hanging out in the market. They just haven't got to that status. And for some reason, even though he has a little bit less hardware, I think the Luca NTRPA is just seen as a level above some of those other guys for some reason in the hobby. It just is. And I, maybe it's that's just his fan base is willing and people there's a lot of big money collectors that are willing to invest in Luca, but it's a lightning rod. And even though he doesn't have the credentials of those other three, I think it has carved its niche out in the hobby and it is somewhat um, an iconic card in that patch auto space. Last night, uh, Lamar Jackson in TRPA sold on PWCC weekly for 12K and I that's like a card I was not that I was like gonna buy, but I like monitor like these are cards I want to look at, and I just right. like found that interesting where it was, and I I don't know like the history and the sales history. I can pull up card ladder and check that out, but to me, I saw the sale of that card and it was in a PSA nine, and I was just like somebody who like really likes Lamar Jackson and was like believes in Lamar Jackson, like probably got that card last night at a really good time with them just losing. And even yeah. though he's going to win his second MVP, but I, I don't know that I think like the NTRPA has kind of become for these players that are, you know, established or trying to establish themselves more. These cards have really become like a measuring stick for yeah. their success. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you know, I, and the reason I put like Steph and Patrick in those in that tier A is, I mean, they got it all. They got all the hardware. They are transcendent athletes. I mean, Patrick Mahomes could be the greatest. It's hard to say that this fresh off Brady, but when you start looking at the guy's resume, especially with what he's done this year on a team that I don't think people expected a lot out of this year, especially how they were looking, um, and he's six AFC championships in six years. His fourth Super Bowl. I mean, the guy's already getting himself. In <laughs> He's that one guy. of the greatest quarterbacks ever, and you have to say it already. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. He's probably he's physically more talented than Tom Brady. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that were physically more talented than Tom Brady. His ethic, his work ethic, his pep preparation, you know, his clutch, all that is kind of what separate has separated Tom from the rest. But uh, I mean, you know, the guy is, you know, he's tracking to be. Um, if he's not already there, I mean, he's probably already a top 10 player of all time. I mean, in such a short resume um, and tracking to be, you know, he's definitely a top three quarterback of all time, in my opinion, already. I, you know, it's Brady, Montana and Mahomes. And I think everybody else at this point, honestly. 
um, with all due. And Peyton, Peyton's right there. I, I'm my bad. I, yeah, I shouldn't have put Peyton out like that. My bad, my bad. We're going to end this now. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Peyton. Peyton's right there. So he's top five already. He's already top five in my book. Yes. And I don't think you can really question it. If you are, you're just probably hating, to be honest. And then Steph, I mean, I think that last ring really put Steph into another echelon in the NBA kind of greats list and really solidified everything that he has done in a game where guys his size aren't supposed to dominate and be able to win championships um, and to do it in so many different kind of um, situations and doing it in the LeBron James era, you know, I think really kind of took him to another level and got him on the cusp of, you know, top 10 player of all time, you know, and I'm not saying he's there. So don't everybody freak out, but I'm saying you could have an intelligent conversation when you factor in how he's changed the whole dynamics of the way basketball is played um, and his impact on the game that he's, and I'm a Steph fan. I, you know, full, full disclosure, I'm a big fan, but he, I don't think, I think he's changed the game and the way a sport is played kind of unlike anybody we've seen in a long time. You know, I, I think about this a lot and I think about just being a Pacers fan and watching how they play offense this year or run their system and players like, Halliburton and while Halliburton will never be the three-point shooter and threat that Curry is I think a lot of Curry's influence in how the Warriors did what they have done in the system that they run I I can see bits and pieces of that and what the Pacers are currently doing and to me when you have an active player who helped contribute to a shift in a system not just with the Pacers but across the league that's like living legend territory. And that sure. I think we should just appreciate those players instead of Absolutely. Hating on them. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's maybe close this out. I'm curious, like uh, maybe you've alluded to it a little bit, but like into RPAs in your collection, like what kind of stuff do you have? Um, and maybe like any stories you have associated with them? I mean, I have a couple of curries. Those are obviously, you know, my best and my favorite. I don't, so when I started doing the store, you know, I did, I, I took a lot of my PC, put it away. It's in a vault somewhere. And really people don't come in a store wanting to buy a $30,000 NTRPA. So my paradigm shift of what I buy now has changed greatly um, because really right now, you know, when I go in and I'm looking at stuff, I'm like, what's going to sell on the store? That's mm-hmm. a lot of, now I have recently actually picked up a few PC items. It is really the first PC stuff I've bought in a long time just because I've been so focused on the store and really wanting to get it right. But uh, so, yeah, so I kind of took kind of what I had and just put it up, but I don't really have a lot of NTRPAs outside of Steph anymore. We don't have a ton in the store. We will get them, but that stuff usually gets turned online. You know, some guys I've been looking at, which is probably a terrible time to buy them right now, but uh, I just love SGA for the thunder. I think that dude is such a stud. Um, He is a, he reminds me a lot of Dwayne Wade in this aspect of he doesn't necessarily like blow you away. Like when you're watching him, he doesn't necessarily jump higher than anybody. He's not faster than everybody, but he just gets to wherever he wants to go on the court. He's just so shifty. Um, and so he's a lot of fun. So I'd love to pick up, you know, over time, maybe one of his, I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum. I think I'd love to see him break through that kind of glass ceiling. That's kind of on top of his head. Uh, I wasn't mad he didn't win it against the Warriors, but I wouldn't mad, 
mad if he uh, I, I'd be happy to see him get one because I think they've been knocking on the door and they to me they're, I think they're the best team in basketball when, they're really good they're really yeah. good I've yeah. watched enough of them to yeah. say they're the best team right now yeah when they're hammering on all cylinders I think they're the best team in basketball um and I'm trying to think who else you know, I would say even with the hype, I'd probably wait for the hype to go down. But uh, it's a shame that CJ Stroud's not going to have one because I just really <laughs> like that kid. I know he's in the same division as your boys. but He's good, though. I can admit just, it. I mean, just listening to him talk and just how humble he is and just like I'm just really impressed by him. And just he doesn't seem like a me, me, me guy. He just seems like it's about everything else besides him. And so I'm super impressed with him. I wish he had one coming out. But yeah, I don't have a lot of NTRPAs right now just because it's not prime inventory for us in the store at the moment. But if the right deal comes along, I'll always buy one. <laughs> I, I say that I say the couple that you have are probably okay yeah. to be your only ones. Yeah, that yeah, you have. yeah, yeah. Well, I always have fun chatting. Hopefully, everyone out there learned a thing or two about NTRPA. I love the discussion and the comparison with Exquisite. Not didn't really expect to get there, but glad we did. Yeah. Um, Jameson, always appreciate this. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Always a good time. Always enjoy talking with Jameson. When we stopped recording, we booked WrestleMania. We always book the territory. Enjoy that uh, fellow Roman Reigns collector. Go check out Port City Sports Collectibles and check out the Patreon group if you're looking for more content from this brand you take care of yourself take care of others around you we'll be back with more stacking slabs next week 